Hey, you're listening to Blindsight. Let's go. Mental health isn't something to take lightly. It's time to fight. It's time to thrive. Let's do this. Hello there. Welcome to Blindsight. This is your host, Bill Lundgren, and I'm glad to... uh, have Jonathan Price, our producer, with me, and he has some announcements, and then he and I are going to talk about uh, addiction, intervention, and uh, all that kind of stuff. So, Jonathan, welcome. Thanks, Bill. Good to be here, and I'm thoroughly enjoying it, at least uh, as of this recording. It's it's nice and chilly outside. Um, yeah. I really love this. I love this weather. It's Oh, I just love it. So uh, we do have some exciting announcements. Um, if you had listened to any of our other shows, you may have heard this announcement already. But just in case you don't, we have decided to change our name. And we are currently known as the Audio Information Network of Colorado. Starting January 1st, our name will now become Aftersight. And that might be confusing right now. So let me explain it. Aftersight is our original podcast with Penn Street that was kind of our flagship show. And we decided that we love that name so much that when we were talking with the branding committee and uh, the, the company that is helping us change our name, we liked that name so much that we just decided to use it as a company name. So starting January 1st, again, our name will be Aftersight. And so we are looking for names for the podcast show after site, which is currently known because we're going to change it. And because that would be really confusing with the, the company name change versus the podcast name change. And so if you guys have a creative name, uh, thinking about stories for blind and low vision people, we would love to hear them. You can email me at Jonathan at a I N Colorado.org. I'll put that link in the show notes. And then we do have Colorado Gives Day coming up on December 5th. So be on the lookout for more information surrounding that on how you can donate. Donations will open up starting November 1st. So get them in early as we can um, help a lot of people uh, make it through the holidays and, and do some really cool stuff with Colorado Gives. So those are my big two announcements. So just keep an eye out for all of those. All right. Here we go. Yeah, they're big and they're big announcements, and uh, particularly the name change. Uh, yeah, because you know you realize that I have just learned how to say audio information network <laughs> without stumbling. So now you change the name. Thanks a lot. Well, it'll it'll take it'll take a year, but I mean, you'll be, <laughs> hey, don't don't forget you're just t- saying your name of the show. You're still blindsight. Blindsight's not going anywhere. Right. Okay, so we have uh, a topic to discuss. Do you have any question you want to start off with? Yeah, so as we were talking about this episode and trying to figure out where we want to go with the idea of interventions, specifically around addiction, um, that I mean, that's I guess that's a classic case in point of why you would have an intervention. But when... I think of intervention, I think of a family or a group of people surrounding a person and just bombarding them with why they're horrible or why they need to change something or you need to stop drinking because it hurts me, it hurts the family and and all that kind of stuff. And I know that's what a lot of people feel like is is the case. And so we want to shape this conversation very carefully around the 
appropriate techniques of doing an intervention. And so what I do want to give a disclaimer that this episode could get, um, I guess, a rather triggering if uh, if you're sensitive to that or, or if you're a family who might be going through that, we want to be sensitive to that. Right. So if you don't want to listen to this episode, go ahead and pause this. Come back next week. We're going to be talking about some other things, but this is a highly sensitive topic. So just want to make sure that you guys are aware. Uh, but without further ado, Bill, what do people need to know about, I guess, interventions as they were and then as they are? Well, I think, uh, number one, we have to start back a little bit on, okay, when uh, family members are willing to admit that there may be a problem with their loved one. And, you know, what happens often is one person will notice and be hesitant to say anything to somebody else you know, have you noticed that? And what we're, you know, what's liable to happen? There is an incident, and the person has gotten into trouble, or one way or another. Sure. And you know, sometimes an incident like that enables somebody to talk to another family member, and then when the two of them realize we've been looking at the same thing, then you've got something to work with. If the person in question is denying what, oh, that wasn't anything, or that was just a, a, a fender bender or whatever, there is denial in him or herself. Sure. And what you were describing a few minutes ago was not intervention in my mind. It was confrontation. Mm. Yes. And when you get into confrontation, uh, no matter what it's about, you know that you're going to immediately get defensive, defensiveness, you're going to get anger back, and it, it's not going to go anywhere. We, we look at our political uh, uh, discussions, you know, these, it's more confrontation than intervention. But when we talk about intervention in the clearest sense of the word, it really is uh, designed to present the evidence without all the noise. Yeah. And, the, you know, if a family realizes that the person is not accepting that he, ha that he or she has a problem, they may decide, or they ought to decide, to talk to an interventionist. That is mm -hmm. someone who is trained in dealing with this kind of situation. Right. And what the interventionist does is call a meeting of the people around the person in question. Not the person, yeah. but... Uh, let's say, let's say uh, you have a family member <clears throat> that you're worried about. You go to the interventionist, mm -hmm. and what the interventionist will ask you to do is to name the most important people uh, 
in terms of their their relationship with the person in question. In other words, it might be right. it might be you, it might be uh, brother and sister, it might be mother and father, people who are whose word would have some impact on the individual in question. Mm-hmm. And what would happen then is the interventionist would call for a meeting of all the people that uh, you you think would be involved in an intervention. And what you do is you meet, and what the interventionist wants you to do is to be factual Mm -hmm. and in a tone that is as loving Mm-hmm. as possible. Yeah. And the other thing the intervention would help the people in this group to, you know, first off, they have to get used to the idea of doing the intervention. And yeah. that's why this is important to kind of stage it because there might be some people who say, no, I can't be involved in this. And that's right. fine. They drop out. Yeah. But the people who remain are the people who can tell the person in question mm-hmm. specific things that happen, the effect of that on uh, you, and to be able to say to the person in question, I love you, I care about you, but you may say, I can't be with you when you're drinking. Or right. you may talk about a consequence if something isn't done about the uh, the drinking. Mm-hmm. And not the consequences, I'll never speak to you again, or, you know, hostile, just saying, look, I love you. I care about you, but I can't allow this to interfere with our relationship. And so when you start drinking, I'm going to leave the house or I'm going to just not be around you because I know I'm afraid I know what would happen. And so as long as you're sober, I want you in my life. And to be as loving and calm with that as possible. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, uh, you as a group, and sometimes this takes several sessions to do this, but you as a group decide, okay, what is it that you want the person to do? And a lot of times it might be to go to a treatment program. Right. In which case, then the family, you know, somebody from this group has to set up a uh, a connection with that program mm-hmm. and find out how soon somebody could come in, explaining that they're doing an intervention, right? And then, you know, then they're ready. And in fact, uh, it's even better if they pack the suitcase. And this is all in the ideal situation. Mm-hmm. Right, of course. Then a time and place for the intervention 
is established. A lot of times it might be in the uh, interventionist office or it might be uh, at home and the interventionist is there plus the family, the, the members of the group who have agreed to the intervention. And yeah. usually you select the, you know, they go, they decide who's the most important one to start. Yep. And then it can go around. When the person comes in, of course, they're shocked. Mm-hmm. And it might even be a little belligerent. But it's the interventionist's job is mm-hmm. to say, look, they want to talk with you. You'll have an opportunity to talk, but you need to hear what people want to tell you. Mm-hmm. And generally, the person feels outnumbered and is kind of going to be defensive. That's a, you know, right. that's got to be fair. Uh, generally, the interventionist arranges for the person to be the farthest away from the door. Because right. if they get up, you don't want them to slip out easily. Right. But so then, uh, let's say you're you're designated to start start off. Mm-hmm. The issue is to present facts, even though the person will say, "I don't remember." Yeah, you can say that's part of the problem. You don't remember, but this is what I remember, and you know, time, date, what happened what the consequences mm-hmm. of that were yeah. to you. I got real scared or I got upset or whatever. And notice there's a lot of I statement mm-hmm. because the person, if you say you, 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 defenses go up. Yep. But if you say I felt this or I experienced this, and then you move around the room until everyone has had a chance to speak. Now, usually... After hearing all of this, someone who has some inkling that he or she has a problem will start to understand a couple things. Number one, there is a problem here. Mm-hmm. Number two, that the people are not tearing, tearing you down, but that they're supportive. They've also made very clear mm-hmm. that if you don't change... Uh, that there's going to be some consequences. Yeah. And what often happens in an an intervention then is the bargaining can happen. They say, Mm. well, I'll, you know, I'll only drink on weekends or whatever. And Mm. I think the people in the, uh, in the intervention won't be surprised because they've heard it all before. Right. And they they will have decided already what's acceptable to them. But right. if the person says, no, I can't, I won't go uh, for treatment, then we have to say, okay, well, what, are, you know, what are you going to do? And then he, may, he or she may come up with something that the group may say, okay, here's, here's our bargain. Okay. Here's what you've agreed to. Now, if you can't follow that agreement, will you agree then to do what we're suggesting? 
And so you always have that. You don't have to do another intervention because you've made a bargain with the person. And the person then makes the mistake, as you can pretty much predict. And then, because you haven't been putting that person, the person's somewhat on the defensive, mm-hmm. but you haven't uh, closed the door yeah. to uh, the person saying, you know, I, I broke it. And I say, okay, will you, mm-hmm. will you go to the treatment program? We can get, get you in very quickly. Yeah. And then that happens. On the other hand, if the person absolutely will not follow through, and number one, once you've made some decision, this is the hardest thing for the family. If they've made some decisions as to what course of action, they can't back down or right. they lose their credibility. Yep, exactly. And the important thing, too, no matter what happens, the family has learned his, what, what they have to do and also have a sense of the whole group supporting them. Yeah. You, you aren't hanging out there. That's one of the reasons why, uh, in rare instance, just one person confronting, mm-hmm. and I'm using the word confront, uh, mm-hmm. the alcoholic or the drug addict, it doesn't work. But if the team helps the person who's doing the intervention and helps, and I think uh, creates kind of a wall, if you will, around the person who's in trouble, that is hard to refute. But if everybody has said, look, I love you, it's the behavior that we have a problem with. And yeah. That's the important distinction you have yes. to make. It's not the, it's not the person that's the problem. Right. It's the behavior. And it's the it the drinking has taken hold and therefore uh you know something has to be done. And it right. also has to be real clear mm-hmm. that it's gone beyond uh the changeable. Yeah. By the time you're ready to do an inter- intervention, it's pretty serious. Well, I want to jump in here and make sure we hit on a couple of key points. Sure. First being, um, I want to go from from start to finish. So the first thing is, is if you guys want to do an intervention with somebody, you need to get a professional interventionalist first. That's the first That'll thing you, do. you don't talk to. You don't talk to the individual. You don't talk to a whole bunch of other people. Maybe you've had a conversation with family members or friends or whatever, but that in that in um, interventional interventionalist needs to be part of the conversation from day one, because what they're going to do is they're going to come in and they're going to assign roles to every single person. And so if in fact, that person who is, um, I guess, being intervened on, if that person tries to leave, there has to be somebody who is designated, who is trusted to go after that person if they make it out. Right. And it can't be somebody, it can't be just everybody trying to gang, gang right. rush no, them the, and hold them down. The, the, it had to be a dance, if you will. And you see, right. the, I'm not uh, saying that the interventionist is going to select the person. Sure. The, the group is going to decide, well, you know, I think you would have the most impact. Yes. Yep. And... 
And then after that, they're going to say, I'll go next, I'll go. And each yep. one of them agrees mm-hmm. that they do take, you know, they take turns. Yeah. That they simply, Which, uh, and they know their their role and essentially what they're going to say. Right. Which leads me to my second point of whoever you, you need to go to somebody, if they're going to be involved in this intervention uh, on the uh, pro intervening side, they have to be 100% committed to that cause. Right. They can't be wishy-washy. They can't be one foot in one foot out. Well, I don't know if this is really a good idea. They have to be 100% in for that person. Otherwise the entire thing will fall apart because Bill, I know that you know this and I know a lot of people who have been through addiction know this in a one versus one situation, an addict will generally come out on top through excuses, through flattery, through right, whatever right, means right. have you. And if they sense that somebody is the quote unquote weak link, they will go after that person and they will convince that person right. that they have somehow changed, right. that they are someone who can now be trusted. All of a sudden, oh, thank you guys so much for intervening. Look, I am so sorry. I like They'll give you every excuse in the book. And here's the other thing. After everybody is on board, after everybody is taken right. care of, and one you person, can't do an intervention until everybody's on board. Right. Exactly, you have to. Somebody, whoever is designated, needs to call several places and get whether it be uh, uh, in home, uh, not uh, sorry, a um, a residency at a. a, a a therapist session, an in-home, th- my goodness, help me with my words, Bill. Um, well, it could be a treatment program. Thank you. It could you. be an intensive outpatient, or it yes. could be uh, seeing a therapist who will make the decision what's the best yes. route to go. Yes. And that's and really dependent on where people think the uh, the individual is. Right. And if it so happens that that person is so willing and so confronted, or um, I guess uh, they have been brought to light and they say, look, I'm ready to go to a treatment center right now, then you have that bag, like you were saying, packed up, ready to go. You already know what facility you're going to. It's ready. They can just go. It could be a matter of minutes to they're in to the facility. Yeah. But here's the other thing that I want to bring up, and, and Bill, we can kind of talk about this in another episode if you want, but I do want to bring up the other side after the whole thing is complete, after the intervention, after the therapy, after all that, there have been times where trust has been broken between both right. parties. Right. Everybody, and everybody's upset. Everybody's upset. They feel betrayed. They feel angry, right, especially right. the one who may have been intervened. And um, and the one they, they can't trust the family. The the inter, the one who has been the subject of the intervention may, right. in his uh, uh, heart, may be compliant rather than accepting. You know, he could say he or she could say to himself. Oh, they're just ganging up on me. Well, I'll go to this treatment program and, you know, and I'll go through it and then it'll be all over. Which is a case for a lot of people. Right, right. And And it's usually about a month in that they start to feel that break. They're like, wow, I really need some help. But you see, the thing is, if someone's caught in the uh, addiction, 
their heart sell, they might be more than willing to get out of the intervention, be compliant, go in, mm-hmm. be resistant to the program, and may have to go, you know, the family has to be prepared that that person may have to go through a couple programs before it finally clicks. That's how insidious the disease is. Oh, absolutely. And uh, I have uh, someone I know who had to go through three programs. He had an intervention. He had to go through three programs and finally ended up at the Salvation Army for a year before it finally clicked in. Wow. Has a very solid, now he's very solid, gotten his life together. Uh, you know, it, it worked, but it took four programs to get. Wow. And, and people have to understand that it isn't like, uh, you know, you get a shot in the arm and then everything's all better. Right. But yeah. the family has to be consistent. The family has to be, if the person gets out, uh, then there has to be a period of rebuilding the trust of everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, that yep. this has worked. And if it doesn't work, that's the nature of the disease. The disease, mm-hmm. part of the, one of the symptoms of the disease of addiction is the tendency towards relapse. And the relapse there is work that's done in relapse. There is mm-hmm. material available to help people in dealing with relapse. But there's no guarantee. Sometimes people have a slip after they have treatment. Right. And they discover, oh, that's what they're talking about. Or, no, I can't go through this again. And that's when, you know, change occurs. Yeah. So people have to be real, you know, not. Uh, fearful to say, okay, this is part, you see, if you had a heart attack Mm -hmm. and you go through treatment in the hospital, doesn't necessarily mean that you don't ever have a heart attack again. Oh, yeah. But somehow for people who are dealing with the addict, they think once you go through treatment, that's it. And if you, if you fail, uh, you know, after treatment, then you're done, we're finished, you know, nothing more. And that's, that's unfair. Mm. And the thing is, what the family has to, I think the family has to talk about with the treatment program, with the, uh, with the individual, okay, what if? And say, yeah. so that everything's real clear and the the word failure get dropped from the lectionary. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, because this is important. This is a medical disease, whether people like it or not. They call it that. It is a right. disease. The other piece that really uh, becomes difficult is that, well, let's say it's been years since I've had someone come in to me. It was solely alcohol or solely mm. uh, drugs. Sure. A lot of times there's a uh, 
depression that's underneath. And that depression, of course, becomes real clear. They're sober, but they're still depressed. Uh, and so that we're looking, it's what we call dual diagnosis. Hopefully the treatment program will pick that up and sure. work on it. But we have to understand that this is a three-dimensional kind of thing where, you know, there may be a number of things, mm -hmm. sometimes trauma. Someone um, goes yes. in, uncovers some trauma. So there's going to be more therapy that's going to be involved mm -hmm. and the threat you know, if the if the memories start coming back, that they may resort to what used to work before. Yeah. So there's no. Well, remember also. Right. Remember also that if you're the intervening family, you may also need counseling and help and therapy, right. especially if you have an uh, alcoholic spouse and you have kids. Right. You you're going to need counseling for the whole family because yeah. now the kids are down a parent. For right. X amount of days, uh, for months, up to you know, could be however long it takes, but they've got to be able to get that therapy. Yeah, and you see, this is the unfortunate thing about the disease. But if we look at it from the standpoint of future generation, if we can cut it at this point and prevent the kids from developing the disease and their kids. Because sometimes it skips a generation. Mm -hmm. But uh, we're talking about healing uh, future generations as well as taking care of the individual involved. Mm -hmm. Well, as, as we kind of come to a close, I do want to leave people with something that has been very instrumental and impactful in my life. And I think I've shared this on here before. If I haven't, um, here you go. There's this beautiful symbiotic relationship between grace and truth. And I think it doesn't come across uh, more beautifully than in an intervention scenario where if you have, imagine grace is, is all the way to the left and, and truth is all the way over to the right. If you have all the grace in the world, if you're all grace, then you're just passive and you, you end up placating to whatever whim who that person wants. So if it's it's accepting that they're going to be or or accepting any, I guess, excuse that they may have for for that right. behavior, and that's that's grace. I love you. It's okay that you've done this. We're we're here to support you. All that kind right. of, all of that is wonderful in and of itself, but there's no truth. There's no substance. There's no call to change. You're just hoping that they feel so good and ooey gooey mushy about it. They'll just want it. That's not what's going to happen. Yeah. But however, on the other side, if it's all truth, you know, it's just mean. If you have somebody who says, hey, do I look fat in these pants? And you say, yes. I mean, there, there's no grace in that. There's, there's, there has to be this wonderful balance of grace and truth, truth. in love and kindness. And so, right. Bill, what's your, what are your thoughts? But there's also one more thing I have to throw in here. Mm -hmm. And that is... That you know, when we talk, the family indeed does help because sometimes uh, there are situations where the uh, the other partner, for example, gets some goodies from being in control mm, and yeah. thinks that oh everything will be fine. Uh, but once my yep. spouse gets sober, and I've had situations where I've worked with the alcoholic and done couples with 
Uh, well, in this case, uh, in, in one case, I'm thinking of the the wife. She wanted him to get sober and so forth, but then she lost so much power. He wanted to be the partner. She couldn't take it. She divorced him and married another mm. alcoholic. Oh, geez. Now, that, that's why I say it is a family disease. And I think yep. that everyone, okay, you, you intervene with the person, but be prepared then to make sure that everyone heals Yes. From this trauma of the yep. person, the identified patient uh, being the one that is uh, in trouble, mm. and heal ev- everybody, heal one another, mm-hmm. so that this dynamic does never happen again. Well, let's make sure also that we're not like one an intervention team versus another person. It, we're we're all kind of doing this together because we all want the same thing for that same individual That's right. that individual i'm sure in the back of their mind wants to be successful wildly in everything that they do in in their life in their family their spouse their relationships right. work whatever and so if if everybody is on that same humble page of let's come together let's do this the right way let's right. let's let's love on each other and let's grow and let's iron sharpen iron and make sure that we're all moving toward the same goal and everybody has that same goal in mind. Because if, if nobody has that same goal, th- th- you're just going to spin your wheels. Absolutely. You're going to sabotage. You're going to sabotage yeah. what's happening. And that's, yep. that's why it's so important to look at it as a family disease and say, okay, what do we need to do as a family so that we all heal? Well... We're glad to have you tune in. I hope this has been helpful to you. Thank you, Jonathan, for uh, being a partner in this uh, in this talk today. And to all of you, uh, have a good week. This is Bill Lundgren, your host of Blindside. Thank you.